Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Sunrise. I'm Egberto Willis, host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. But, of course, that is what we always say. Welcome aboard, my peeps. Welcome aboard. Let's see who we've got in the house. I think I've already seen El Senor. Michael Rudnan, welcome aboard. Peggy Lopez, welcome aboard. My regulars are already in the room. Michael Rudnan, of course, has his task of the day, which is give us that new news. Of course, he starts out, he says, seems like I have a whole lot of errands to run today, so I can't stick around. But here are the, here are the topics. Here are the issues of concern to many of us progressives. Redditors are spamming Kellogg's job portal to support striking workers, corporations facing a strike want scabs to fill in and do the work, but the people won't let them. Shows that the corporations are desperate for labor and the union organizing and strikes are effective tools for collective bargaining. Don't ever cross a picket line. Folks, don't listen. I mean, look, we are at an impasse right now. We are at a flex point right now. What does that really mean? It means... It is time for the workers to take charge. It means it is time for us to assert our worth. Check out that article that I wrote called Assert Your Worth. It's time for us to realize that we matter. We are the ones that run the economy. All these corporate corporations, think about what uh, the, the company that was, that they just resolved the strikes, uh, the, the company that makes tractors and all these things. Their executives were getting pay raises as they asked the people who make the tractors to take a pay cut. Again, the people who do the work, the people who create the possibility of the executives sitting on their butts and getting money were asked to take a cut. And for that, the executives took a raise. Fairness, fairness, fairness. If you can't see that, what is there? Michael Rodnin also says, how deadly is the Omicron variant and is it more infectious than previous variants? No deaths have been reported so far, but experts stress that it's early. I'm going to give it another week, but it looks like we must, we might have dodged a bullet with this one. Can't say the next variants of concern will be as so lucky. Well, here's the deal though. And John Deere, thank you very much. Yvette Avery Herod, John Deere, the company that I wanted to talk about that says, oh, they want the people to take a cut but the executives continue to make and make and make. Yvette Avery Herod says, good afternoon all. And of course, there's Michael, I mean, there, there's Daniel Ledo who says, workers of the world, unite. Right, Egberto? Yes. Yes, Daniel. You're being sarcastic. But yes, that's what I want. I want collectives. I want worker-owned corporations. I want it to be those who produce the products that make the spoils. Don't you want to get the spoils from what you produce, Mr. Ledo? Don't you? Do you just want an, a, somebody who pushes paper at the top to make all the money earned on your back? Do you really enjoy watching a lot of slaves in America, yourself inclusive? Think about it. Okay, Michael Rudnan continuing. Rights groups warn extradition of Assange would have dangerous implications of future journalism. The Secretary General of Reporters Without Borders called on the U.S. and the U.K. governments to stop to 
uh, to stop this more than a decade-long pursuit once and for all and exposing corporate government corruption. WikiLeaks does the real journalism that the mainstream press won't. The extradition effort is chilling effort at press freedom, government transparency, and accountability. That's true. We need the likes of WikiLeaks and all these things that give independent media. There's just something about uh, Assange that I don't particular personal. This is a personal thing. This doesn't have a political stance on it, but I don't particularly care for uh, for El Senor um, Assange and and it, it, Assange, and it has a lot to do with a few things that he's said in the past. But I'll leave that alone for now. Uh, Peggy Lopez, hi all. Here is everybody. Where is everybody? They're here. They're just not talking. They're here. I see them on Facebook. I see them YouTube, Twitch. Folks, come on in. Make yourself known. Say hello. Hola. Como estas? Michael also says, Ivan Greer tweeted, if you can't set aside your personal distaste for Assange to recognize that the U.S. government's persecution of him for publishing a possessed threat to human rights and press freedom, you don't actually care about human rights. Full stop. You heard what I said now. I said I don't particularly like Assange. And I mean that. Oh, you, you didn't even hear me say that. That is from other people. Got you. Got you. Got you. Yeah, but no, uh, but but I, I, I support. You know what I support. All right, continuing. Michael says, as planet careens towards disastrous crash, Earth's black box record records leaders climate in action. The purpose of the device is to provide an unbiased account of the events that lead to the demise of the planet, hold accountability for future generations, and inspire action. If the worst is to happen, and as civilization we do crash as a result of climate change, these indestructible box, the indestructible box, this indestructible box, will be there and will record every detail of that. When civilization collapses, nobody's going to be around to read it. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Daniel Ledo, yes, I hear you, Daniel. Thank you for the correction, uh, Yvette. And Daniel Ledo says, LOL, and he tries to take umbrage at being called a Marxist. Um, wait a minute. I don't care what the hell you want to call me. You, I know what I stand for. I stand for all the things I preach about. You can give it whatever label you want to call it. You see, that is how they get, that's how they get many people on the right to go into pissy fits, right? They try to tell you words and then they get you scared of words. So they say Marxism and you go into a panic. They say liberal and you get into a panic. They say socialism and you get into a panic, right? Why don't you just say, Egberto, what do you stand for? Yeah, I stand for worker rights. I stand for all these things that support people, support workers. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But I know what I want. I know what Americans want. And I know what is being denied. Okay? Peggy Lopez says, in a true democracy, the workers would vote to elect the boss. Amen. But capitalism isn't a democracy. Capital dictates in capitalism. And that's where it comes to the people who somehow associate capitalism with democracy. That was busted. In fact, I have an article to write about that. That was busted in, re in a recent 60-minute interview, right? Where a Chinese pointed out that China is one of the largest capitalist countries in the world. 
but also it's a country that says we are going to we are going to be a capitalist country that do it our way. And our way means we re- we oppress where we need to oppress and we assist where we need to assist. And they're doing a pretty it's amazing what China is doing right now, completely disassociated with what America is doing right now. America is using the fist of democracy. In other words, anybody who speaks for things that talk about social status, in other words, giving people health care, giving people leave, giving people all these things they want to call socialism and bad stuff, right? In China's capitalist society, they have seen sort of the light. They have said, wait a minute. We can go ahead against all those damn capitalists who are really sucking the blood out of the middle class. And by the way, the Chinese middle class is larger than the entire population of the United States. Look it up. They decided, you know what? We're going to start supporting things like policies for the peasants. And we're going to start supporting all these other kind of policies, right? So... Uh, then and then when America complains about, hey, you locked up the guy who created Guaido, not Guaido, uh, you know that internet company that rivals Amazon, says, so, so what? He was stealing. He was ripping people off. I, I think it was that company. It, one of those internet companies. So they are actually using a lot of what the unions believe in to support those who really need support. China has vast concentration camps. Let me guess that is because of capitalism, not communism, not the United States have in concentration camps too. We just do it in a very, again, America knows how to do things very antiseptically. We have concentration camps. We had concentration camps in, uh, in, in, in uh, Cuba, Guantanamo. We also have concentration camps in the United States called jails, prisons. How is our, how are prisons concentration camps again? Well, the capitalists use the prisoners to make products on the cheap. You want to talk about that? You see, we, we have a very interesting way of creating slavery now, an interesting way of creating concentration camps. We just don't call them that. We lock people up for whatever reason throw them in jail, in prison, put them to work in the fields, put them to work making license plates, making clothes and all these things, renting them out to corporate to corporations. We don't call them concentration camps, though. We just call them jails. Do the people get paid to do that? Well, not really, but hey. Again, the most, the most dangerous thing that keeps a failed system running is ignorance. Ignorance. Brothers and sisters, that's why we have politics done right. To kind of not let the plutocrats look at you. Right now, the plutocrats look at guys, like look at most people and say, you guys are dummies. You don't even know what's happening in your own country. And because you don't know what's happening in their own country, we can create a false impression of what's happening in this country. And guess what? You are so dumb, you don't even know it. You don't know that the prisons are really antiseptic concentration camps. You don't know that, uh, wait a minute, working for a corporation is a form of slavery. In other words, it's even, to, to, we don't, we, a lot of the expenses of slavery, hey, it's foregone. 
You know, it is amazing. And Mr. Hayes, if you believe that somebody who is facing a life term in prison for smoking a bat, for smoking marijuana, for taking coke. And by the way, last I know, most people don't know how the chemistry behind coke. So the plutocracy also creates the coke. Wow. So they sell you the coke, they throw you in jail for the coke, and then you work for them at a reduced cost for having been thrown in jail for coke. Man, if that isn't a great system, I don't know what it is. See, but you've never taught that, right? You have never been taught that. Now, if you're a killer, of course you belong in jail. Of course you belong in prison. But you see, that is where you have missed the boat. You have been made to believe that most people in jail are all those murderers, those people that are killed. You know, no, that's not it. Look it up. But, you know, ignorance is, you know, one of the reasons we can have income and wealth disparity is because the ignorance that we have been kept on has allowed that to occur. And in that light, I'm going to play our video of the day. Welcome aboard, Tom C. Being for unions. Workers Unite is not Marxism. It's creating a level playing field between employers and employees, actually necessary for the survival of capitalism, free enterprise. Um, Tom, brother, I just want to make one correction. Capitalism is not free enterprise. I believe strongly in free enterprise. I am a free enterprise person. Uh, democratic socialism has a very strong free enterprise component. It's democratic. Capitalism, there absolutely is no democratic portion within capitalism. Capital reigns. And if you doubt me, please read Milton Friedman. And what Milton Friedman says, it is so important for us to understand. Milton Friedman, the god of new capitalism. Please read his article dated 19... I don't remember. Just look up... Uh, go to Wikipedia, look up Milton Friedman. I think I have it on my, on my blog as well. Milton Friedman, Capitalism, and see what he had to say. He said, the only fiduciary responsibility of capitalism is to the shareholder, and they have no virtue of... No social virtue, nothing. Nada. Niet. That is from the mouth of economist Milton Friedman from the Chicago Boys who went around the world from Peru to, to Argentina to, uh, to, to, and all these countries with the Chicago Boys to push that crap. Please, please. It is important for us to understand what's going on here. But anyhow, when I talk about anti-intellectualism, one of the things I love to do is learn. And I learn from people every single day. I learn from people all of the times. And, uh, you know, I've changed opinion based on what I've learned. So what I want to uh, do is I let you listen to Victoria Young, who is going to talk about America's bout with anti-intellectualism. <laughs> Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Random. Better the Willies, your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us. Today we have... Victoria Young, she is an involved, informed, and active parent, 
of the No Child Left Behind era. Victoria said that she witnessed one of the biggest forces in public education ever, bar none. Victoria saw that my, with her own eyes, the damage her school suffered at the hands of standardization and privatization. But today she discusses an issue that while superficially not connected in, uh, to her passion, actually is. And what is that subject today? Anti-intellectualism. Victoria, how are you doing today, my friend? Very well, thank you. Before we even get started, tell us a little bit about you, because I've always been intrigued. The veterinarian still, right? Um, I actually retired this year, but it would be the third time I've retired. <laughs> oh, boy. So, so I, bet I was kind of, I guess you would say, called back into service during the peaks of COVID. Um, but technically now I am retired. And I'm hoping to stay that way. But I did. I was practicing for 37 years. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think I'm entitled. To a I think you're entitled, but you don't look like you're practicing for 37 years at all. I mean, yeah. I, I guess some of us keep well. But anyhow, what, what, what can I say? But look here. Um, first of all, before we, we, we really get into this anti-intellectualism thing. Um, and I think it really, the genesis is really well before. Because, I mean, if you take a look at what the, the passion that you've had, tell us a little bit about that school thing about the let, leave no one behind era. Tell me a little bit about that before we get into the subject at hand. Well, I was, I had some time um, to actually, because of my schedule and, and working at the time I was working um, some on call time. So I had some time during the school day that I could volunteer. And I started doing that on a very regular basis. I, I was there every week um, and you could just see the change uh, it put a lot more pressure on the teachers. You know, you have a whole new uh, system, basically, that you have to learn. And what also happened is because it's focused in on math and reading, we saw them cut out a lot of other things because you had to focus on getting kids up to the standard on the test. Um, otherwise, you know, you, you suffered from being labeled as failed, but those weren't really the labels. It was needs improvement. Um, but we already knew which schools needed improvement. And of course, as everybody knows, a lot of that is related to social economic status of the community. Those are the schools that need help the most. Um, so the tests weren't really telling us anything new, and they were occupying instructional time. And that was probably the worst thing we could do. And I think we're, we're seeing the results decades later of that. And we lost the arts, we lost civics, we lost a whole lot of things that really made what a, a well-rounded American is supposed to be. So um, you're actually right. If people taught to the test, people know how to take tests, they do well. And they turn out to be not all that good socially or not that good, well-rounded American altogether. Well, you know, and, you know, and, and I don't I, I, I think you can see a direct correlation between the demise of our educational system, anti-intellectualism and almost going back to the era of the know nothings. Your thoughts on that? Right. Well, and so one of the other things that was cut out, not in all schools, and this is why we have trouble um, explaining this to people who had kids in schools that had a lot of resources, is their resources and their time on science in particular was not cut. 
like we saw it happen in schools that were in fear of failing the tests. Um, so we had a lot of science cut out of there. So th there is that direct correlation with teaching science correctly, you know, not just facts, but learning, learning to think and critically evaluate something. A lot of that has been lost in a couple generations. Um, so I think that is starting to show up. But I always want to remind people that it isn't all at the education system to blame, that anti-intellectualism is a thread running through American society and always has been. I, and it's, it's based on emotions, skepticism. Interestingly, <laughs> I want to read just one short passage in your piece. Mm -hmm. uh, it's deep in your piece, but I want to start from the beginning, but it's deep in your piece, but I think it explains a lot. And it's even explained this stuff about just teaching to the test, you said. Or you said from a quote, we don't educate people anymore. We train them to get jobs. Right. And that came from a professor. So they're, they're seeing that at the higher education level. Um, a lot of people became aware of that. In K-12, a lot of parents are not happy about that because it basically is a tracking system. Um, if you're testing and then you're putting it in there and you're getting advice, which we did before when, when we went to school, same thing happened. But it was usually a single test. It wasn't all the way through and it wasn't so early on in your in your learning career. You know, you're still an adolescent. You don't know what you want to do. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things that we, we see happening. And it's gotten worse with technology because the system, of course, I think we talked about this once before, you know, is this human development, capital development system tracked with all the data and the data is all linked. So that that became a real problem that people haven't addressed yet. Um, so, and we're basing that we're basing recommendations for kids on a pathway earlier in their career. A lot of times that isn't necessarily maybe what they want to do later in life. I mean, I guess I was one of those late bloomers that I didn't know I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, I was told I should be something else. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, so so often that is the case, you know, so often that is the case. Now, you're on a show called Politics Done Right. So, you know, we're going to start to uh, hit the politics domain at some some, some point. And uh -oh. actually, I, I want to hit it because interestingly, I think you hit it up pretty early on in the in the piece. And uh, we're, we're um, you actually said many and many people anticipated the arrival of confrontational politics, yet most overlook anti-intellectualism as major contributing factor to our nation's toxic uh, political divide. Yes. And I wanted to put that on a billboard. That was billboard material right there. So go ahead and take that, run with it. Okay. So when you look at anti-intellectualism, and I'm not a political scientist or a, a social scientist, um, but just based on a lot of the things I've read, and you know, particularly, I'm going to grab this book, mm -hmm. particularly this book that gives a lot of history. And I'm no, I'm not a historian either. Remember, I'm a veterinarian. I'm your right. working. Who's the author? I think I know the guy. Uh, Richard Hofstadter. I know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I met him actually. Wow. <laughs> I think I, I think if I'm not mistaken in debt, if it's the same person, I met him in at a coffee party retreat in I want to say Denver. I think it's the same guy. 
It has to be before 1970, though, because that's when he died. Okay, well, no, it's the wrong person then. It's the wrong person then. And I'm not, I'm not old enough to be the, uh, you see, I mean. I the, think so. Yeah, yeah, okay. That, that, that wouldn't be him because uh, at a coffee party, we met a guy with, and, and he wrote a book that had a similar title and we actually sat down and had lunch. I thought that was the same guy. <laughs> so when I read this book, um, and it was quite some time ago, mm-hmm. and I, I was reading it and thinking to myself, so wait a minute, you know, what am I? I I don't consider myself an intellectual. I don't work in a university, um, you know, so but on the flip side, I could see what they're talking about with anti-intellectualism, that you may have some resentment towards people that you see as the elite intellectuals. Well, let me stop you. I need to stop you there because you just said. First, you classified, you claimed to be not, you never considered yourself an intellectual. Then you said that people may have resentment for intellectuals. But you said you weren't an intellectual and you never had those, any kind of resentment to those you probably considered intellectual, right? Um, you know, that's hard to say. I think when you get rejected, mm-hmm by groups of intellectuals like and this is what i think i see going on in the country i most commonly hear people say i'm not being heard you know they're not listening yes i hear that a lot so you're gonna that's resentment and i i gotta say i i've probably suffered from that from time to time that's what i mean when i was reading this i was thinking is that me he's talking about? But further into the book, you come to realize that we are all intellectual. Mm-hmm. We all have the ability to reason. And that's what, you know, intellect is, is, is reasoning and, and asking why and gathering more information and coming to rational conclusions. You look at the Constitution or, or what the Constitution was based on. And it is really based on rational thought. You know, the whole civility thing is based on us all being rational. So, you know, I started looking at this and looking what's going on with with the culture now. um, And I see why some things are happening, but still working on this idea of, so how do you approach that? Um, Because we certainly don't want to let it go on. And get worse. Um, so one of the things, of course, I had suggested is, I mean, we can help some with education, but that's down the road. That's the next generation is coming up. Um, you know, we have to do something immediately to try and solve this problem that's rising and before our eyes. <laughs> um, that has risen, yeah, before I Now, first of all, let, let, let's take that. I, I think I want to twiddle back a bit because. Um, uh, you know, I, I hear I, I hear intellectuals be or I, I hear the attack on intellectuals, which a lot of times may be justified uh, as far as thinking one is better than the other. Right. But I wonder often if that isn't, you know, who calls themselves an intellectual? You remember what you said earlier? It's all about not being heard. My show is a show that goes out and say everybody it's it's your show. Everybody mm-hmm. has a voice. And I want to make sure that everybody's heard. That's why everybody can get a chance to say what they need to say, right? Right. It's not being heard a thing on 
intellectualism or is it a thing of cliques and 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 tribes? Right. Yeah. So it's kind of a couple different things we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Anti-intellectualism is built, you know, it's it's a it's an attitude mm-hmm. towards, let's say, towards experts. You could you could use COVID as an example also. Right. So what we've seen is this cultivation of it though. And so what you do is tap into a truth. Right. Now, everybody, you know, probably has heard if you do something wrong in medicine, 25 people are going to hear about it. Right. right. <laughs> so there is a, a grain of truth that things can go wrong. Now, you take that grain of truth and then you start turning people against experts saying they're wrong. Now we're. Now we've tapped into the anti-intellectual piece of, in all of us, and we're building on it. We're building a movement against truth, basically, against facts. Because, you know, the people that we consider intellectuals, you know, the ones that are the experts in their field, they spend their life, basically, learning about a one particular topic. Mm-hmm. And then for us to just push that all aside and say, nope, not even going to hear it. No, because, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Because there are, you, people resent them as an elite. And that's what I'm saying is intellectuals aren't necessarily elite people. If you listen to people talk, eventually, and this is what I learned practicing medicine, is if you listen to them tell you a story about their animal eventually they're going to tell you something that's very important and i think that happens in all kinds of conversations you know in the in right it's amazing because uh, you just said something that my daughter said a couple of days ago mm-hmm. uh, as far as listening to patients uh, she's uh, in their uh, fourth year med school had some health issues but what she said is um people got on her case for doing a lot of listening to people but uh, when she had a conversation with a patient, she learned more about that patient's ailments based mm-hmm. on that simple conversation she's having with the patient, as opposed to just going and ask the patient, what's wrong? Tell me what is it that ails you? So it's, it's amazing. And she said she can walk out of a room and know, well, this, this, and that, just from having that conversation. So what she just said it's actually something in practice. You've, you've seen it with your your uh, your uh, patients, and you know she saw it, saw it, saw it as well. Um, now you talk about solving this, right? Mm-hmm. I, I recently wrote a book called um, "It's Worth It: How to Talk to Your Right Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors," and the idea was to um, not appease anybody, but let people answer their own questions. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea being is. Um, when I talk to people, I usually, for everything that they say, I ask them to go to the next step. What's the next step? How do you get there? How do you get? But it's a very tedious task to do that one-on-one. So my question to you is, you, you met, you're the one who brought it up. You said, yes, the kids, later on, we can start educating folks later on so that they would grow up in that proper mindset. Mm-hmm. But the question is, how do we handle those whose mindset is already developed that we need to somehow change? And, uh, you know, how, how do we do that? 
Well, it, like you said, it's tedious and it's having the conversations. Um, so we don't have very good conversations on social media. <laughs> so, so it is a matter of having those conversations, you know, have them at every opportunity. But I think there's one question, you know, that we really need to encourage more people to ask. And that is just the simple question, why? Mm-hmm. You know, look at what has happened to the media. And I just I just heard someone today on, on on social media saying that they don't listen to any news. <laughs> OK, so we've cut out all of that because there is this grain of truth, right? That that the media is owned by what, six companies? Or right, something? exactly. The okay. main the mainstream. Yeah, right. And so they have control. So there's that piece. But then they're being told by who they're listening to not to listen to any of the news. So, again, that's this, you know, this this cultivated anti-intellectualism. So now it's done exactly what I believe I mentioned in the in the blog. Yes. That now they're where's the source of information for this person? The only source they have is that one person or one organization that they trust. So it's it's a matter of building trust, too. Um, but, yeah, I know it's going to be a, a long, hard road. <laughs> well, I like I like this from your piece, though, um, uh, Victoria. Consider this. You know what I want to say? Consider mm. this. We are all capable of logical, reasoned thought. Mm. But it does require a concerted effort to resist being ambivalent. Consequently, it requires people devote a little more of their time to looking for truths, thinking clearly, and calling out propaganda and propagandists. That's the last paragraph in your piece, which I found uh, that that is that is a coup de grace. Now, how do we actually implement that? <laughs> well. I think that I've seen some of that going on on social media is is when you even are informing people of the different techniques used by propagandists. And again, I think it's that matter of can you get them to wonder if it's happening to them? If what they're if what they're seeing is propaganda or is is it real news? Is it real fact? Um that I think that's one way we can do it. We also have to, I think, you know, and we're seeing it happen. We have to build a movement where we're getting, you know, people like yourself, I guess myself, although my thing is education, um, but that they're reaching people where they're at. And I'm afraid with politics, sometimes we're, we're really talking over people's heads. I mean, the terminology in political science is not something that I learned in school. Mm-hmm. I didn't have political philosophy. Um, I just happened to have a lot of books <laughs> right. and some time to read. And you know, I want to stop here because what you just said is so important. You said you didn't take political philosophy. Actually, very few of us did. But uh, both of us being involved with certain type of organizations, we can understand political, but most Americans don't. And in that language, you know, I mean, it it, it is funny because, you know, we talk uh, instead of talking about helping people. A lot of times we start using the technicalities of the procedures to help people. Uh Oh, you're cutting out. Oh, can, can you hear me now? Oh, yep. 
Okay. okay. Yeah. So what, what I'm saying is it's interesting what you're saying, because as it turns out with the political thing, uh, when you speak in that just political language, mm-hmm. some people that don't understand it immediately tune you out, which you need them not to do so to, right. to make that change. Right. Right. And even, you know, it, it's almost like speaking a second language. Right. Right. When you say a word uh, and usually it's a label of some kind, people that aren't you know, don't spend time reading these things. You have to take a minute to translate what they're talking about. And then you've lost train of what of the actual conversation. Um, (laughs) So, so I think, you know, people that are writing, if they're really wanting to make a point. And the other thing I see out there in journalism is try, you know, we're not seeing enough people try to resist just throwing the label out because once you criticize and put somebody in their spot, they're not likely to hear anything else you say. Right. That is that, you know, that is so, that is so true. And on my program, we have all these different, this, this things, you know, the, the, the one good thing I like about politics is we have a lot of progressives. We have a lot of, uh, they, a lot of people think they are trolls, but they're not trolls. They're there every single day. Our right wingers are there every day and they enjoy talking. And, and, you know, we converse. And I think it's important because um, people don't. One of the the places that I go is I started to when I'm a one on one is tell tell people all of what what I'm really about, what I want for society, what I want people to see. Mm -hmm. And most of the times the most conservative person would be like, yeah, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. You know, and, you know, in my book, it's worth it. I gave a few stories about me talking to right wingers at my special place, Starbucks, when I was there before the pandemic. And it's amazing. I I remember being so concerned one time speaking to a woman because by the time our conversation was over, she thought I was a conservative Republican because of where I live inside of Starbucks. (laughs) And by the time it was all over, she was all into Medicare for all, never used the word Medicare for all, just used the things that I wanted to see in healthcare. Right. I felt so guilty. I told the woman, ma'am, I I hate to tell you this, or I don't remember exactly what I said, but I'm one of your pinko liberals here in Kingwood, Texas. And what I just described was Medicare for all. And she was like, oh, you know, she said it was but we were friends, you know, every time she sees me, you know. Well, I had the same experience with critical race theory, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact that it is not taught in K-12. Right. Okay. <laughs> but I just want to say that before I talk about it. But what I did was I described what they are actually using in schools you know, which is an anti-bias kind of thing. And basically, it's just learn to get along with other people and, and you know, love yourself and love your neighbors as yourself. <laughs> That's the kind of philosophy. Right. Well, I, I had it in a blog, and, and there was an argument going on about critical race theory on Facebook. Right. And so I asked this one lady if she would take the time to, to look at the blog. And she did, which is unusual. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but she came back and said, now I can agree with that. 
but that's not what's happening in schools. Which is exactly what's happening in schools. (laughs) So, but it's, yeah. And that's what I mean. You know, they, they really are doing a number on with political language, you know, with tapping into the language that's going to hook people in and turn them off. Um, Well, that's what, that is what we are not about. And one of the reasons when uh, you posted this, I, I contacted you as soon as I read it because I'm like, this is the kind of material that we need to have out there coming from someone who understands what's going on. And so, I mean, uh, I'm really happy that you wrote it. And you, you write a whole lot of good stuff. I've been reading your stuff for, for, for a long time now. But I took a break. I, I haven't written anything for a long time. And this is the topic. This, this is tops. Let me just tell you that. All right. I, I, I think you were on probably two or three years ago when right. we had something talking about the school. So, I mean, it was like great. And, um, and really, uh, really, I've told you that before. Um, so, anyhow, this is good. The, the last question that I always ask is usually the gotcha. And it goes Uh-oh. this way. You ready? Ah, uh, I guess. <laughs> what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? <laughs> Ooh, well, actually, I would like to add something to the conversation. Go for like, it. So, so I don't know what the question would be. The question might be was, what did you find interesting when you cleaned your room today? <laughs> okay, what did you find interesting when you cleaned your room today? <laughs> I found an old book that I had read a long time ago. Uh-huh. And, and what it, the title of it is, What Social Classes Owe to Each Other. What Social Classes Owe to Each Other. And it says, we all owe to each other goodwill, mutual respect, and mutual guarantees of liberty and security. So in the season of goodwill, that's what I wanted to add in. (laughs) Well, you know what? I think that's a perfect segue for closure. So Victoria Young, uh, not former, but coffee party blogger writer, author. Uh, thank you so kindly for having been. Okay, go ahead. What did I miss? And, and retired veterinarian. And retired veterinarian. Thank you so kindly for having well, thank been. Thank you. And I hope your family's doing well. My family's doing well. My daughter is getting better day by day, and we're working hard to make sure and keep it that way. All right. Thank you All so right. kindly Good for being on Politics Done Right. Bye. All right, folks, I hope you like that. But, uh, you know, uh, Tom says Hofstadter was a member of the Young Communist League in college. In April 1938, he joined the Communist Party, disillusioned by Stalinist discipline and show trials. He quit the party in 1939. I guess Tom C. just went ahead and say, hey, Daniel Ledeau, people uh, have different uh, things that they want to do different times in their life. But, you know, Daniel, I wanted to capture some of what you said that I think it's important, okay? Because here's what I, I took the four consecutive messages while I was watching the interview and wrote down. You put first, numero uno. China has vast concentration camps. Let me guess. That is because of capitalism and not communism. Second item you wrote. Okay, so China committing genocide is just like America. Right. You know you sound insane. And then you say, so insulting the people who are were active, actual slaves, you insult millions alive and dead who were brutalized by slavery by equating it with something, voluntary work. 
you are a garbage person. That's who I am, I guess. And the last one you put was, yeah, I'm learning today what a complete POS Egberto Willis is. Piece of SHIT is what he means. He excuses killers and tyrants and waters down the pain and evil of slavery to push his Marxist agenda. Wow. Wow. When you put all of that together, I am a monster. No, look, let's be clear here. Here's the problem. America as a country likes to moralize about all these things. We love freedom until we don't. We hate genocide until we don't. Okay, Mr. Ledo correctly states that a lot of this was in the past. True, a lot of it was in the past. We no longer kill Indians because, or are the native people, look at me falling for the crap, native people, because we've already successfully taken their land and thrown them onto reservations. So that is complete. So now we can be nice people and say everybody else needs to be nice as well. As far as slavery is concerned, we have converted, right? That evil type of slavery that looks nasty when you promote it. With people getting whipped and bought and checked like cattle. We don't do it like that anymore. But what we have is still a master-slave relationship. Capital, a corporation is not a democracy. A corporation is controlled by a few executives who most of the times do no work. The work is done by the average person who begs for their salary. That's all I'm saying. Antiseptic slavery. It is not an equation of slicing somebody's back with a whip. I'm just saying we've learned how to do it, do it antiseptically. Now when it comes to, let's hit genocide again. You know, when America invaded Panama, they really wanted Noriega to invade, I don't remember if it was Nicaragua or El Salvador, right? I don't remember which one it was. But interestingly, when Noriega was doing good stuff for the CIA, it didn't matter that he put funds from drug lords into banks in Panama. That didn't matter then. But when he didn't do what America wanted to do, guess what? We invaded Panama to get one man, Manuel Antonio Noriega. And in the process of invading Panama, 10,000 Panamanians got killed. The, the, the Americans reported, oh, 1,000 innocent Panamanians got killed. The UN reported 4,000 Americans got killed, but we who know where Marañón is that got invaded and blown up with the stealth two bomber, not stealth, the stealth two planes. Those of us who know Colón, those of who, those who know David, we know what happened in those three cities where America unleashed the bombs. Three cities. Noriega was only in Panama City. They wanted to decimate the Guardia Nacional de Panama. They wanted to decimate the Guardia Nacional de Panama. And in decimating the Guardia Nacional de Panama, they killed two birds with one stone. They arrested Noriega and they killed the defense forces in Panama. And when asked, I think it was Colin Powell, when asked about the dead Panamanians, what was it called? They said, they said, oh my God, that was collateral damage. So Colin Powell decided to call the genocide in Panama collateral damage. Brothers and sisters, what I'm saying, 
the American people are wonderful people. We are wonderful people. Our leaders do what is necessary, what is necessary to maintain the capital structure at all costs. And those of you who say, I sound crazy, you just have to look at what happens. When we go ahead and go into use our drones to kill, and our drones kill a lot of innocent people, collateral damage. But if China goes ahead and they try to defend some one of their, 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 their immoral acts, oh, it is the end of the world. All I am saying is something that is rather simple. Ashley has it right. On y'all need to read the 1619 Project. It isn't only for black Americans, but for all Americans, Ashley says. And she's right. So brothers and sisters, listen to me. This is, this is not about individual people. You see, when I make these comments, right? Daniel Ledo was trained to come back and make it seem like this is an attack on the average American citizen. It isn't. It is an, it is a, a, an ode, not an ode. It is a, a ask to the American population to say, let's not allow the plutocracy to get away with these evils. Most people back in the 1800s were not slave owners, but they were placed into that domain by the people who created the system. Most people within this system are just abiding by a system created by a few running on autopilot. And what I'm saying is we need to remove the autopilot and we need to become what we like to claim that we are. That's all. Nothing more. It's not about judging individuals. It's about saying, let's become who we say we are. And when you talk about China committing genocide, we do it all of the times. We just don't have it on TV. When we are dropping bombs around the world, it doesn't make national news. You never heard that 10,000 Panamanians got killed. You never heard what happened in Grenada. You never heard those things, that those massacres. You didn't hear the story about my father seeing with his own eyes when a man was trying to get across a checkpoint because his wife did not have her insulin and he, he the, the, the American soldier couldn't speak Spanish. And he's saying in Spanish, Señor, necesito dar a mi, 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 mi esposa su medicina. I have to give my wife her medicine and I need to get over there. And as he's walking towards them, hands up, I need to get to my wife. And what happened? In war, they gunned him down, killed him. Panamanians shouting and holding back because they're seeing these murders in real time. You don't see that on TV, but other people around the world live it. And until we, until we grow up and become who we say we are, all we get is those trained to make excuses. And Mr. Eric Hayes, it's not me who's making excuses. It's my brother, you are. Because you decide that you want to stay less educated. You want to stay willfully ignorant to what's going on around the world just so that your ideological fallacy can remain intact. And that is what we have to fight. 
if we could ever once start to look at things the way they really are, if we did that, all of us would be on the same page against, you know, whom? The plutocracy who has screwed us, who has used us, who has put us against each other. And again, Daniel, Eric, and all my right-wingers, that's why no matter what you tell me, no matter what you tell me, no matter how much you attack me, no matter how much communist, socialist, Marxist you call me, it has zero effect on me. And it has zero effect on what I think about you and how I want to work with you. Because if I allow what they have put and instilled into you to have an effect on me, they win. And I won't allow that to happen. So brother Ledo, brother Eric, still love you brothers. You, you, you can hate me as much as you want. Still love you, man. I forgot to do my ass today and, and, and sister Bridge MCP didn't remind me. Folks, if you are just joining us, please go ahead and click a click that join button. Become a part of our PDR posse. We cannot do this without you. Also, additionally, if uh, you can simply do things like visit politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube to join us on, whoops, wrong thing here, politicsdoneright.com YouTube. Uh, you can also support us by going to politicsunright.com slash Patreon, politicsunright.com slash Patreon. You can support us as well at PayPal, politicsunright.com slash PayPal. Let me get that link, politicsunright.com slash PayPal. And look, let me, let me go ahead and say something else. You can, you can, uh, find out all of what I talk about in my books, right? Uh, Oh, <laughs> to make a point. <laughs> Thank you, beautiful Bridge MCP. I didn't see it. You know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm doing all kinds of things at the same time. But thank you, my dear, beautiful lady. Um, folks, um, also, please get my books. I, I, I talk a lot about these things in my book. I think in the, in the first book, um, uh, as I see it, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right Wing Duma, I tell the Panamanian story, if I recall, in that book about what really happened. You know, um, uh, you know, there's history and then there is the story. There's a real story from the people that actually got killed or whose families and relatives got killed, right? So those are the things that we have to understand. Those are the things that we have to know. Please go ahead and get my books. Politicsandright.com slash books. Politicsandright.com slash So why don't you go ahead and give it, give it a, a try and give it some to, the, to, to your friends on the right. Help them out uh, to... To, to take another point of view, 18 U.S. Code Section 1019 from Peggy Lopez, genocide states the removal of children from families based on their nationality is an act of genocide. In our lifetime, Trump removed children without... <laughs> You're so good, Peggy. So Trump is a responsible for genocide. Okay, folks, and you can also find all the different ways to support us by going to politicsandright.com slash support, politicsandright.com slash support. Let me run through all my list again real quick before I leave because it's a weekend and I want to salute everybody. Michael Rodney, welcome aboard and thank you for having been here. Peggy Lopez, uh, welcome for being here. Uh, Daniela Doe, thank you so kind for being here and being a part of the discussion as well as Yvette Avery Herod. Thank you so kindly. Peggy Lopez, Eric Hayes, Tom C, my brother Tom C, Tom C, Tom C. Thank you for being there at our um, Ask Egberto Anything, as well as Daniel was there at Ask Egberto Anything as well. You know, that is how we're going to get places talking, but actually you got to talk. You have to be willing to hear 
everything. You have to be willing to hear everything and you have to be willing to research the things that you hear. It's that simple. Paul Fleming checking in from ATL. Paul, I tried to adjust the volume. Let me know if that was successful in adjusting the volume, uh, getting it a, a bit higher. I tried. Let me know if I was successful or not. Uh, let's see what else we have here. I uh, may would. Thank you for being a part of the show today as well. Paul Fleming again. Uh, E2247. Always love to have your interaction. Bridge MCP. Muchas gracias por estar aquí. You're always welcome. Keeping me straight in hand. Uh, Bruce Pollard. Political science is like jumbo shrimp. <laughs> That's something you would say, Bruce. Bruce, I hope you're feeling better. I didn't, I didn't send you a text in the last day or so, but, uh, you're here. So I imagine you're doing very well. I'll give you a, I'll check you out over the weekend. Uh, let's see who else we got here. Lee Grant, you're late, Lee, or you're posting late, brother Grant. What's wrong with you? Love you, Grant. Another one of my good conservatives. The Duck That Quacks. Love you, Duck That Quacks. Always here. Uh, let's see who else we got. Para ver, para ver quién más tenemos aquí. E2247, I think I called you out. Bruce says, on another note, do you think any president would sign the presidential control bill the House just passed? Absolutely not. Uh, that would be uh, running into the powers of the separation of powers between the, uh, the executive, judicial, and and the legislative. So, no, of course not. Uh, let's see. He should sign it. Uh, one person should not have that power. Uh, Bridge, are you, are you, are we talking about the same bill? Let's make sure. Tom C., Daniela Doe, name calling is not a valid form of argumentation. Make your case without ad hominem attacks. Yeah, but you know, Tom C., notice that I don't return the favor. I try to keep, I learned a lot of this at Coffee Party and Move to Amend. Uh, I had to learn these things. Uh, let's see. Ashley says, please, everybody read the 1619 Project. It's important. Uh, let's see what else we have here. And thank you, Ashley, for being here, my beautiful daughter. Uh, para ver. And by the way, Tom C. agrees with you. Everybody should read the 1619 Project. Uh, we have Sharon Chambers. Welcome to Politics Done Right. Uh, Bree says, Egberto Willie, since we have good convos here, all this isn't free. Support the show. Please do support the show as our good friend Bridge MCP always urges us to do. She always urges us to support, 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 support. Peggy Lopez, thank you for being here. Eric Hayes, uh, I got the duck that quacks, and I think I'm down to the bottom of my list. If I missed you, if I forgot to call you out, you know I still love you. You know you are my peeps. Please support the show. Go to politicsandright.com slash support. Politicsandright.com slash support or politicsandright.com slash books. We cannot do this without you. My name is Egberto Willies. And guys, you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.